Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Top 5 at 5. I'm Catherine Murray, and I'm so thrilled to be able to bring to you today Hugh Johnson, the chairman of Hugh Johnson Economics, uh, a veteran on Wall Street, um, which is so key and important, I think, in terms of getting these views to you uh, in such a difficult time. Hugh, welcome and thank you. It's certainly great to be with you. Thank you. Um, Hugh, why don't we first start with where you think we are now? You know, uh, where we are now is really tough to determine. You know, you can make a really good case, Catherine, for a bull market or that, that this is just simply a correction in an ongoing bull market and it'll be over soon. So you want to position a portfolio to be participating in a bull market. At the same time, there's reasons to be very worried when you look at financial market history and look at the kinds of things that were very similar events in financial market history. You can make the case for a bear market. So you kind of have to you kind of have to be, a, let's call it a person of all seasons in the sense that you've got to position a portfolio for a bull market outcome or for a bear market outcome. Do a little bit of both in a portfolio. Structuring portfolios now, Catherine, is not the easiest thing to do in the world. Believe me, a lot of things going on, a lot of themes going on that you have to respond to. So let's talk about some of those themes right now. Of course, uh, Russia, Ukraine is the driver of the headlines in the markets today. Um, also, of course, underneath that, we've got the U.S. Federal Reserve. We're going to hear from them tomorrow mm -hmm. in terms of what they will or will not do. But let's start with Russia, Ukraine. How do you put that into perspective, particularly historically, when you've seen these type of geopolitical crises? You know, the, war, the one that worries me the most is I look back at the Yom Kippur War in 1973 and 74, and if there are any similarities, as similarities are between now and then. And so you have got to structure a portfolio to sort of be similar to or protect you in that case. So you've got to look at oil. Oil is obviously a big uh, variable in this one. So you've got to own some oil stocks, got to own the kinds of things like Exxon and Conoco, but also don't, don't get away from the drillers, things like Halliburton, equipment manufacturers. So uh, oil's one thing. Materials, this is not just oil prices, this is materials prices. So look at basic materials companies. Look at things like, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's direct, but Nucor, look at Alcoa. And oh. then uh, of course, look at a little bit of gold. I mean, Newmont mining, mining in, in a bear market or in a market that has such volatility, uh, that, might, that might be a good idea. So, so oil, materials, and then one other, which I almost hate to mention oh. is defense. Uh, there's, there might be some real spending on defense. This might. Uh, this might uh, get a little bit of a bigger issue over there. Uh, General Dynamics would be a company. Northrop would be a company. And I would put at the top of the list uh, Lockheed uh, Martin Marietta, Martin Lockheed Marietta. So um, there are lots of different things that you want your portfolio to be positioned for to either participate in or protect against things that are going to happen in Ukraine. And so, Hugh, with all of your contacts and, and people you know in the business and, and um, just thinking about how this might play out and the economic ramifications, 
what what do you see happening? I mean, do you think that we will see stunted global growth? Um, can the United States and therefore Canada you know, side by side, do you think that they can um, be almost an island into and of itself or not? I think you're probably right there. This is going to have an impact on the global economy. I might say that the number one word that applies is unpredictability or uncertainty. Nobody knows how this is going to play out. But if you're talking about the global economy, clearly the global economy will be impacted to some extent, but it's going to be different in different parts of the world. And I don't think I'm saying anything that Everybody doesn't kind of sense or know. And that, of course, is Europe is going to be the hardest hit. And I don't want to say that Canada and the U.S. are isolated and protected, and, uh, but, but to a great extent they are. And I think that's one of, the, one of the luxuries, one of the privileges that we have over here. I don't think it's going to have a significant impact on the U.S. economy, the Canadian economy, or on, importantly, earnings. So I think we're going to get through a little bit unscathed. But believe me, when I say the word unpredictability, I say unpredictability is the number one word. This could escalate into something more significant. I don't think so, but it could escalate into something more significant. We've got to be watching it very carefully. And when we saw the um, energy stocks decline so dramatically um, yesterday, there has been just so much volatility in them. And, and mind you, they have been on a tear to the upside. <clears throat> so maybe this is just a little bit of profit taking. Maybe it's demand destruction concerns. Why, why do you think that we've seen oil pull back? Because you're, you're also saying you should still continue to go long oil. A little bit of oil go long just to protect your portfolio in the event that this doesn't turn out right. In other words, that we could have an escalation in the price of oil. We've talked about $120 West Texas Intermediate Believe me, I know folks that are talking a lot higher price than that. Mm. So maybe you want to own some, some oil stocks. That, that's a little bit, quite frankly, of a, of, a, of a significant concern. But I think keep in mind one thing, which is important. And it's a big difference between now and 1973. The U.S. economy and the Canadian economy are no longer as dependent on Middle East, OPEC, uh, Saudi Arabian oil as we once were. That's number one. Number two, the price of oil has gone up. And of course, to some extent, that raised a lot of worries or concerns about our economy, but it's only gone up about 15%. Remember, 1973, it doubled. And that had a significant impact on the Canadian economy, which was very dependent, believe it or not, on oil, and the US economy, which was even more significantly dependent on oil in 1973. Today, it's not going to have that kind of an impact. And then the final thing I would say is when you look at some of the technical indicators, things like lead yield curves, things like leading indicators for the economy, they're saying to me that Canada and the U.S. are going to be just fine. We're going to have economic growth through 2022 and 23. It might be hit a little bit, slow a little bit, but not significantly, not like Europe. Okay, so let's um, pick up on that point then in terms of looking at inflation right now and the U.S. Federal mm -hmm. Reserve. How do you see the inflation readings how do you think the Fed sees them? And what does that mean in terms of rate heights? Well, that's beginning a tomorrow, really- Beginning tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a really <sighs> tough question. And I'll tell you why it's a tough question, because you've got two camps. And one camp, which is looking at inflation as it is. And you know, and I know, and everybody else knows that inflation is very high. You take a look at first quarter, second quarter, 2022, you're going to have very high numbers. And I'm talking about 7% year-over-year inflation numbers for both the first and second quarters. Then you get a big divide. And the divide is among economists or those that expect, yeah, maybe it'll give a little ground in the third and fourth quarter, but not a lot. 
And then there's people like myself that are congenital defect optimists. And we think that the number is gonna come down to say three and a half percent as we get to the fourth quarter of this year. What does the Federal Reserve do under those conditions? Well, they know they've got high inflation and they know they can't ignore it. But at the same time, they can't be too aggressive. And that's the big worry. They can't be too aggressive because obviously, or not obviously, but to some extent, the economy is slowing and they've got to worry very much about the US economy, the Canadian economy. They've got to worry about the economy and they got to worry, they have to worry about employment. So they've got to go, shall we say, a little bit more gingerly or they have to go a little more gradually. And Chairman Powell, I don't think the other members of the Open Market Committee have said this, but Chairman Powell has said, we're gonna go a little bit more gradually. It's probably only gonna be one rate hike when we see their decision this week. Okay, so let's explain this though to, to viewers and, and why this matters mm -hmm. so much. Um, basically, they're trying, the Federal Reserve and other central banks are gonna to try to raise rates to combat inflation, to to um, to decrease demand, so less dollars and stimulus chasing fewer goods. That's the, the belief here. Um, but yet they're gonna be doing it at a time where there is just so much uncertainty and it does look as though the economic indicators are pointing to slower growth. This is your classic uh, point at which you say the Federal Reserve causes recessions, is it not? I uh, wish I had the answer to that question. My answer is based on what I'm looking at now, the numbers I'm looking at now, and I mentioned the index of leading economic indicators before, the answer is the Federal Reserve can raise interest rates. They raise interest rates two times maybe between now and, and mid-year, and then maybe one time for each meeting, subsequent meeting through 2023. Is that gonna be too much? My answer to that question is no. Yes, longer term interest rates are gonna go higher. Price earnings ratio is lower. The upside potential for stocks is gonna get hurt a little bit, but I don't think it's gonna kill it off. The leading indicators, which have been up 21 of 22 months or when we see them at the end of this week, um, are saying, no, there's not gonna be a recession. In other words, this is gonna be just a, a, a correction in an ongoing bull market, but it's gonna be like all the other geopolitical crises we've seen in history is it's going to last maybe a total of about four months. It's going to be a total of about 19%. We're at the 14-month mark or 14% mark right now. In terms of drawdown? Pardon in, me? Terms of in terms of market drawdown? Yeah, market drawdown, 14%. But maybe it gets a little bit worse. But I don't think it's going to get a lot worse. And I don't think it's going to last a long time. But that's if it's consistent with market history with one exception. And that's 1973-74. And that's what worries me. But I think that's what we're talking about. Another month or two, and we'll get to maybe down 18, 19% as a guess. And so what would be the drivers then to the upside, Hugh? Why is it that you are so optimistic? And oh, that's well, an exaggeration. That's, that, that's, that's <laughs> to, to me, that's the easy question. And I'll tell you why it's the easy question. I crunch these numbers as best I can, Catherine. And, and valuation is getting really, really attractive. Uh, I, I used to be talking about the market being overvalued and being very concerned about it. Now it's um, a little bit, um, it's undervalued. It's about 7% below the level it should average in the current quarter. It's about 9% below the average it should average in the fourth quarter of 2022. And as I do the numbers, it's 15% below 
the, the level it should average in the fourth quarter of 2023. So if you're asking me what happens next, uh, as soon as the crisis starts to get behind us, cross your fingers hmm. on that one, when the crisis gets behind us, the upside is very, very attractive for the stock market. And I think then you'll see the defensive sectors will start to take a back seat and the offensive or economically sensitive sectors of the market, things like industrials, maybe even consumer discretionary, will start to do better. And so, Hugh, when you say you're crunching the numbers and you're basically saying there's a there's quite a bit of value in the market right now, um, what what valuation metrics are you using or looking at? Because a lot of people would still be looking at the PE multiples, and and say that we're still actually at historical highs. Well, you, you've got to, first of all, we, yeah, you're right. We're at a high price earnings ratio, but we're also at a very low um, interest rate level. And interest rates are what are the driver of price earnings ratios. The Federal Reserve raises interest rates uh, in, in each of the next five meetings or seven meetings as, as, as widely expected. You bet price earnings ratios are going to come down from their so-called historic highs. I don't think they're that high, but historic highs, they're going to come down. But believe me, as long as the economy continues to expand, and we're talking about, say, 9% this year, maybe 9% 2023, um, earnings are going to continue to expand and are going to offset the uh, decline in price earnings ratios. So you got to kind of put all the numbers together. You've got to put price earnings ratios, a decline there, given the, mm -hmm. the rise in interest rates, and earnings getting better. Put it all together, and you come up with these kind of valuation metrics. It's not easy to do this arithmetic. You gotta be kind of a nerd for this. And mm -hmm. I've been a nerd a long time and doing it a long time. And you know, you can be wrong. So that's why you mm -hmm. have to defend your portfolio, make sure you got a broad-based portfolio. It's interesting when you say to to balance your portfolio for it sounds like for a bear market and a bull market. Mm -hmm. Um it because and I say it's interesting because I think a lot of strategists out there historically, correct me if I'm wrong, they always take one side or the other. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Right. Oh, you bet they do. And that, and that I'm sure somebody's going to say, why aren't you taking one side or the other? And the only reason I'm not is because given this crisis, geopolitical crisis creates a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty to the depth of the decline as well as the length of the decline. It just injects enormous uncertainty in it. So I say respond to that honestly, Hugh, and respond to it that you just don't know when this mm. geopolitical crisis is going to be over and behind us, and then we're going to have free sailing again. I just don't know. And that's why I say put a little bear market in your utilities, consumer staples, put a little bull market in your portfolio. In this case, materials, which will also participate if we see a right, continued rise in commodity prices and industrials, importantly industrials, uh, to be a part of the portfolio, a company like Union Pacific. And um, with respect to the growth outlook, though, because presumably, you know, when you have these uncertainties, you've got concerns surrounding inflation, rising rates, et cetera. The one piece of the puzzle, I think, that can calm investors in the markets is, in fact, the growth outlook. And if there's confidence that the economy can grow. Uh, Goldman Sachs just last week lowered their growth forecast again. Um, what, what's your response to that? It's going to slow. The economy is going to slow. The growth rate of earnings is going to slow. We're not going to get a 5.7% number. Uh, that's a big number that we got in 2021. So we're going to look at looking at something like 3.5%, 3%, maybe in 2022, and even lower numbers in 23, 24, something like 2.5%, and even long as low to 2% in 2020, uh, 24. 
Uh, th that's what I call normal. That's the normalization of this whole process. In other yeah. words, we're going back to numbers that we saw before the pandemic. And I think that's what's going on. So things are slowing. And I'm not surprised that all the Goldman Sachs is bringing their numbers down. Uh, maybe okay. a little bit too much, but uh, but that doesn't surprise me. And it's okay to bring them down. Just don't make them negative because if they're negative, then we've got serious problems. And when we take a look at some of the carnage that's gone on in the tech sector, um, and yet these companies are key growth drivers of the economy and the innovation economy, even though they seem like the big bellwethers. I think there's so much going on underneath the surface for the Apples and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world. Um, how do you manage through holding them, taking profits in them? What do you do with some of those positions that people have? Catherine, one of the things I said to investors is not only picking good stocks, but the one thing I, I, I urge everybody to think about, and that is time, not timing is the secret to success. Mm. And the one thing I wish I had a nickel for every time somebody told me to cut back on my ownership of Apple and reduce my ownership of Apple every single step of the way and mm. every single step of the way it would have been a mistake. And it's just proof, living proof that if you buy good companies, especially with the strong cash flows of a company like Apple, the strong cash positions, which enables them to do lots and lots of things that are positive for their owners or their shareholders. You know, don't kill yourself by getting in and getting out because you can't do that. You can't do that effectively. Time, not timing, Catherine. That's so interesting. So you do continue to just hold the positions of the companies that you think are really strong, even if they become an outsized position in your portfolio? Uh, well, that's a really good question. That's a good point. NVIDIA is one company that we've owned uh, for a long, long time. And it got to be 10, 10 to almost 12% of the portfolio. And then it's a matter of portfolio judgment, good sound judgment. And, and I completely agree with you. It's implied by your question is that if it gets to be 10 to 12%, look, you're just not smart enough. It's a good idea to cut it back to something like eight to 6%. Uh, but you know, you're faced when you do that. Uh, if it's a, a taxable portfolio, believe me, you know what that means. And that means taxes. Yeah. And it makes it extremely difficult to do, but it's a really prudent portfolio decision to do. So there are some times when you cut back, but you cut back because it's prudent portfolio management. And just lastly, we'll wrap it up here. But um, when we look out for the remainder of the year, do you have concern? Where, where do you stand in terms of, I kind of think I know, but um, inflation, deflation, stagflation, what's the one takeaway people should be thinking about because I think most people are focused on their gas prices and their food prices and the input costs going up. So how do you, do you ease people's concerns or what should we be thinking about? Look, the economy's in the process of slowing and we're gonna have a slow growth in the economy uh, for 2022 and for 2023. I know the rate of inflation is high and it's, it's bothering everybody. Uh, the Federal Reserve is gonna move, but I don't think that matters much. I think the inflation rate is gonna come down in the third and fourth quarter. Maybe not as much as I expect, but I think come down towards three and a half percent from a current level of up around eight percent or seven or eight percent. So I think inflation is going to come down. I think the economy is going to continue to expand. And I think the stock market's going to be back on track. But I think that we're talking about single digit returns, not the kinds of returns of 20 and 21, but single digit returns. But that'll still be better than bonds. Uh, bonds are the are, are great. It's the slowest way to lose money that I can imagine. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right, Hugh, we will leave it there. Great to see you. Thank you My so pleasure. much. My pleasure. Thank Catherine. you.